1: on a collision course with the national championship, and the only variable is time.
2: Because the train is rolling, so anybody out there, I can't tell you what's going to happen right now, but it's coming. Get on board, but get out the way. That's what that
1: is right there. We're coming like this, man. When you're like this, you can't be beat, baby! You're listening to From the Pink Seats Podcast of the State of Louisville Podcast Network. Now. Here's your host, Jacob Lane,
2: Matt McGavin, and Vince McCoco.
0: Yep. All right, we're back for another edition of the starting five. Oh my God. Uh. <laughs> Jacob, leave that in. Let's go. We're back for another edition of the From the Pink Seeds podcast. As you can tell, this is not Jacob Lane. Jacob's got like sewage running up through his bathtub or something. And, you know, Christmas is coming up. Work is busy. All that good stuff. You know, he had every excuse in the book. I don't blame him at all. Uh, but we had to get in here because we had a <laughs> lot to talk about pertaining to Louisville football. Presley Meyer, uh, your host of the most. Matt McGavick joins us. And Vince lacoco is always the boys that you guys know uh, and guys, some stuff has happened since the last podcast. I don't know if you heard. Has uh, it? Yeah, yeah has Jeff it, Brom. Um, Jeff Brom. You heard, you heard right, of that guy? Who, who? I think, I believe his <laughs> name is Jeffrey Morholm. Or do the pronunciation.
2: Jeff Brom. Yeah, Bloom.
0: This, yeah the, <laughs> the hardest pronunciation since Neil had been to It was funny that nobody could ever get her name right. Anyways, back to a guy whose name we do know, Jeff Brom. We already got Matt McGavin <laughs> just face palming over here. One minute into the show. Uh, Jeff Jeff Brom takes it's a record. It. Um, Matt, I guess I'll start with you because you've kind of covered this wall to wall. Quick takeaways as far as just how everything transpired in, in going into his press conference. Um, well, kind of overarching takeaways. Anything that that was surprising to you about the way everything went down as well?
2: Well, before I get into the get into that, I I still even right now still kind of have to take a step back and just kind of look at everything that's happened and be like, what the hell happened over the last few days? Because like less than a week ago, Satterfield was the head coach and Brom was still at Cincinnati. And Purdue. I mean, good, yeah, Purdue, you know what I mean? <laughs> see, this is how discombobulated this week has made me just, I, you know how you see the media parade from Cincinnati of getting Satterfield out to everywhere. Every, every time I see one of those instances, because he was at the Crosstown shootout last night. And I saw a couple pics and videos off
1: that on Twitter. And just looking at that, I'm like, this just feels weird. Man, the like, best somebody quote tweeted that that video of him trying to hype the crowd up and uh said something along the lines of uh Sat just figured out that uh Cincinnati's rival doesn't have a football team.
0: <laughs> Jesus. I was like, oh
2: man. But um but anyways, uh, back to the prom press conference, I was a little bit surprised he didn't cry. I really thought he was going to cry, but I mean, as far as being serious goes, he kind of touched up on all the notes. He played upon like everything that a fan fans want to hear in a press in an introductory press conference. I honestly don't think there's really such as a bad thing as a bad introductory press conference. Is If there is one, I'm sure it's out there, but I've never seen one. Oh, Eli
1: Drinkowitz was bad because he just, Took his App State press conference and did the same thing at Missouri, and I'm Damn. pretty sure he said Mountaineers. So,
2: oh God, okay, so never mind. There is such thing as a bad <laughs> introductory press conference, but I digress. I mean, that was that press conference was even more packed than I thought it was going to be. It was in the Angels and V Bourbon Club, which is really nice, by the way, and it was packed wall to wall. There was constant cheering, not only cheering for Brom, but cheering for Jeff Hurd. For, jeff heard good god Josh! this i've already had we need to restart the show what's going on here i I don't know what's going on here (laughs) but heard hey he got he even got himself a standing ovation and you could tell that after a few sleepless days that that meant a lot to him and meant a lot to uh, jeff to finally come home and he of course went in depth as to why 2018 was not the year that he that he could come and have a an obligation of sorts to Purdue. And we, we know the story at this point, but you can tell that after a while, all the emotions were starting to get to him. He didn't cry, but you could tell that he was just finally happy to be home.
0: Oh, I would have cried 100%. Oh yeah,
2: for sure. I I honestly thought he would have cried because uh, there was a question during media questioning where he was asked about Howard. I thought for sure he was about to cry right there Uh, and there. Man,
1: together. I I thought he was going to cry whenever he was talking about Coach Lampley, the old longstanding Trinity head football coach, old legend of a Trinity football coach. And uh, whenever he's not in the best health and whenever he was invited to be in the front row and Jeff shouted him out during the uh, press conference, I was like, oh, man, like I I thought he was going to cry there. I thought he was going to cry talking about Oscar and his mom. I mean, I, I was telling you all that <laughs> this whole thing is secured by Miss by, by his mom. one hundred percent, Miss Brown was not going to let him uh, turn down this contract one more time. So, I, no, as a fan, all. as a fan, it it was cool to. That was my first coach introductory press conference I've ever been a part of, and I'd say that was a pretty fun one and cool one to go to. Just the amount of Louisville fans that were there and Trinity people that I knew that were there and people that were just happy to have Jeff back home. It felt like a relief off a lot of people's shoulders. It was cool to talk to Josh Hurd after it with Dana Knard and uh just, you know, see the excitement in Josh's voice and in his eyes and uh almost relief and everything like that. So, it was cool. It was a great day. It was a great day.
0: With it being a de facto Catholic reunion, you the only thing missing was beard. <laughs> I, and I, fish which fries. I'm, yeah. I'm shocked.
1: It, it was a church picnic.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what it, that's what it seemed like. And then and a cake raffle. There's there only just <laughs> like a lonely water pitcher with like some tiny cups over there. I was like, what is this? A dentist office? <laughs> uh, but I I guess my natural question then would be Vince, you seem, you know, you're one of the 10,000 people in this city that, that considers them close themselves close to the Brom family. And I'll give you the benefit of the doubt because you, you, you went to Trinity. You played at U of L. So, like, you have all the connections. You should yeah. know who these people are and and, and understand uh, what this means to them. So, I guess my question would be: You know, you had Trinity. You had Coach Lampley. You had this the story about which that's the one that got me. His daughter had to move back because I guess it's his ex wife was in bad health. I don't know if it's his ex wife or if it's he said his daughter's mom, which I don't think that would be his current wife, uh, unless I, I misheard that uh, she.
1: I think there it was, was his, a sick was family member. His current there, wife and his daughter moved back uh, during what during the school year, right, Matt? Isn't that yeah, what he said? But, I believe it was during the COVID year,
2: wasn't
0: it? Yeah, I think so that was what the story was. The reason they moved back is because a family member was sick, and I don't, I couldn't pick up on that. Yeah, it was, it was his, his
1: mom, it was his wife's, uh, one of their parents, one of. Okay,
0: those. so so grandma was sick. His wife and daughter moved back, and then when they found out, you know, at the end of the semester, essentially you know, she wanted to stay. So it was almost just like too perfect of timing. And apparently she told Josh her that her Christmas, her only Christmas wish was that they got to move back to Louisville. So, I mean, how, how fantastic is that? But uh, no, I mean, you have the family connections. And then the the other big storyline to me too, was we finally got some clarification, right? On, on the 2018 uh, kind of what went down. And it really does sound like Louisville courted Jeff Rahm and gave him, you know, offered him everything. Uh, that they possibly could. And he just said that he just didn't feel like he could look himself in the mirror and be okay with leaving Purdue the way that it was, which is such a juxtaposition to what we're dealing with right now, where your coach just left in the middle of the night, sent everybody a link to a zoom meeting and said, bye. And then, (laughs) and then now is trying to come in and and steal all your players and recruits. And it sounds like, you know, somewhat successful for for some of the players in, in doing so. So I guess my, my initial thought after all of that was, do you buy into all of that like do you, do you are you captivated by the emotional hype because i feel like this the city is but are you guys personally uh do you, do you personally buy into all the stories and truly uh feel like that's that means more than than just wins and losses
2: I mean we can't discount it that's for sure i mean like any other coach at Louisville, could have hired. He's going to have to win, especially for a roster that has, still has some talent has is by all means, is going to bring in a fair amount of talent. Who knows how the transfer portal shake out shakes out, but it's not like Satterfield. It's not like how Satterfield walked in to a roster that was had talent, but just completely mismanaged. There is still some talent here and there's should be some pseudo expectations, but that's a conversation for another day. Um the football program was in a spot to where, and we saw it during the NC state game during the James Madison game, how this program was on a roll. It was generating solid momentum, getting things going after the horrid start to the season and fan, a lot of fans just didn't care. Fans didn't care. They were checked out. The, the stadium was only half full and even the, the, you know, we make the joke about how every game there's going to be 20, 25,000 diehards. And then the rest just going to be the, you know, the pseudo not pseudo fans. We don't want to go into that discussion again, but people who kind of buy in (laughs) when things are good, but even the diehards were starting to wane a little bit. So if, if SAT was coming back next year, I mean, you'd have a hard time uh, selling out the stadium, at not, not even selling it said you'd have a hard time like getting the stadium and have to fill in Jeez, that
1: lower bowl at all i mean getting yeah getting to where i mean everybody know you all know i'll i'll buy whatever ticket and sit in the same section every week i mean and in my opinion as much as i love that and love the convenience of being able to sit kind of wherever i want like i would much rather prefer buying a ticket and having to sit in my seat because the stadium's so damn packed because our fans are so rowdy and crazy
2: but anyways just to go back to the original question this hire instantly injects a ton of energy intrigue for next season and for the foreseeable future and it's I've seen a lot of people try and make the comparisons to Kenny the Kenny Payne hire and how, how what it did for the fan base on that front as well which that's a completely different story because I mean putting aside what that's what's going on on that front right now in the season i mean at least braum has we have a track a record of what he is as a coach so there's a little bit more like what i'm trying to say is there's a little bit more expectation a little more hype on that front and fans are genuine genuinely excited they have something tangible to look at like okay this is what jeff did at purdue there are some pros some cons but we know what he produces and he's a local product. So his cachet as a head coach on top of the connection to the city, I mean, this is injecting some life into a fan base that was reaching apathetic status even though they were performing moderately well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, it, I was just going to say I mean as far as the the performance and the fan base and everything, I mean, you know that you've lost this team when And people find it difficult to put this in perspective for sure. But I mean, this is the second time ever that Wolves won multiple games against a ranked team. Now, granted, NC state and, and Wake Forest, I I guess NC state is still ranked or right. Quasi ranked. Wake Forest is far from being ranked now. Uh, But granted this is at the time of of when they played them. Uh, This is the only time that Louisville has, has beaten two ranked teams, except for 2006, which most people consider one of the best teams ever so uh to put that in perspective outside of the florida state game where they had 48,000 uh attendance never got above i think 40 uh maybe 41 against mm-hmm. uh i believe it was nc state maybe pittsburgh something like that but re- regardless not not to get in on a, on a whole tangent about that vince uh, I- as far as as um you know meeting expectations and as, as far as you know the, the overall vibe around the program right now are you buying into the hype
1: I'm definitely buying into the hype. I'll always buy into the hype of whatever head coach we have just because, uh I don't know, I've been in those locker rooms and I've been a player before and I'm, I'm going to buy into what the coach is selling because ultimately that's how you win more games and stuff. Uh I mean, just I second, basically what, what all Matt said. I mean, you guys, you still have to go out there and you have to win ball games, and uh it's nice to know that Jeff has a track record at Purdue and Western and uh, other places and uh it's not like the basketball situation where we're kind of wondering what we're going to be getting out of this head coach uh what i what i really loved about uh i thought it was a cool kind of thing i noticed a lot of people noticed it at the press conference was uh seeing vince Tyre there and uh seeing <laughs> vince there almost as a uh, he just stood in the back and showed in the back but it was almost like a job well done job job finished kind of deal like finally finally him walking off. Uh, into the sunset with his last little, uh, I mean, cause you know, him and Josh and that whole athletic department are still friends and stuff. So uh, I, I don't know. That was one little thing I noticed that I thought was cool. I'm excited for the football season, man. I was
0: texting y'all after the press conference, I could have ran through a freaking wall. <laughs> oh yeah. And I was, I was the same way down in, in sunny Florida, being Florida press. I, I wish that we didn't have one game left this season because, I mean, partially because I'm going to have to sit here after every single game and do one of these after our shitty basketball team loses one game after another. <laughs> I mean, which is just, I mean, I guess I need to go stock up on liquor is all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> um, yes. But, I mean, when it, when, you, when you look at the Vince Tyree situation, I think you're absolutely right, Vince. It's kind of a storybook ending. And, you know, the way that Tyree finished everything off, it couldn't be much better the way that it went. Because you know, he was kind of involved and he had it, he had hand, a hand in trying to yeah. get him. To mean, come he wanted to get the first
1: time, yeah, yeah,
0: and then yeah. Well, and then, then the stream I mean, was he wanted him before last season started, right? And so, even we, we've pretty much verified at this point that, that after last season, there were a lot of talks and Brahm was ready to come last season. Uh, but because of everything, the way everything went down, I mean, there was that one weekend where. You know, essentially, Scott Satterfield is on the hottest of hot seats. But then, uh, all of a sudden, how did it go? So Scott Satterfield's on the hot seat. Then you have we find out Neely's been flirting with Penn State for six months, and then she just leaves at the drop of a hat. You forgot Vince to Florida State as well, right? Well, and then, the- at the same time, Vince was was interviewing with Florida State, which was shocking. That was more shocking than Satterfield going to Cincinnati. Like yeah, Satterfield was leaving wasn't surprising. Satterfield going to Cincinnati was like yep. d- dropping a glass full of water. Surprising, Um, but I mean, you, when you take all of, of all, all of what was going on into into play, you know, with with Chris Mack kind of all of a sudden being on on more of a hot seat, Vince and Ely are gone all of a sudden, so you don't have an AD, you don't have a, a a president of the university. There's nobody there to make a decision. So Sat was like, all right. Guess I'm staying, boys. And that was like,
1: thumbprint <laughs> uh, still works.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was about to say, he, he was, you know, there's a couple of weeks there where he was going to scan his badge at, at the office and he was like, like, I hope this still works. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, kind of moving into who Brum's going to bring with him, right? Because I think that's kind of the next transition is what what coach yeah. is he, he going to bring? And then ultimately, who he brings as far as the coaching staff is going to be, you know, what, Will determine what players come along, uh, and so we know 100% for a fact now that uh that Jeff's gonna be bringing his brother Greg. So, Greg, if people aren't as familiar, he's been more of a behind the scenes guy. Uh, he was a re- he's just a little bit older than, than Jeff, was a receiver for Jeff at, at UofL, played at Trinity, uh, got a couple of degrees from UofL. I don't know if people know that he has his master's from UofL, uh, and then he has pretty much worked kind of as a director of football operations for Louisville for Western Kentucky uh, and for Purdue. So he, and, and, you know, and this is kind of what we talk about a lot, the first family of Louisville, they just kind of have followed each other around a little bit. Uh, Brian Brum is going to be another guy that's going to be here. Everybody knows who Brian Brum is one of the best quarterbacks in in Louisville and Trinity history. Um, And he's probably, I would assume he's going to join as the quarterback's coach. Oh yeah, he'll
2: at least be the quarterbacks coach. Yeah. I would assume he's going to be the OC too. But I mean, you never know who else he's going to bring in on his offensive staff.
0: Well, I was going to say we know for sure Gary McGee is going to be joining as well. Three right? extremely smart football minds. Exactly. Oh Did yeah, having
1: it's uh, it's like um, Coach McGee was our offensive coordinator at one point. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. incredible. And
2: it's it's like how a Dez Fitzpatrick's dad said, if you're if you're a wide receiver, why would you not want to play for Jeff for Jeff Robb? Right. Yeah. because I mean, this those trio of coaches and I know there's another coach that you're going to get to in a second. But just for a brief second, let's look at just the, what these three coaches right. alone bring. I mean, Jeff, we already know what his track record is of being an offensive coach, especially during his time at Western when they just put up points like it was nothing. Uh Brian obviously has done a really good job behind the scenes, not only helping call plays, even though we know Jeff calls plays, but, you know, helping craft the offensive scheme. And by the way, he's already a good quarterbacks coach because, I mean, they took. Aiden O'Connell at Purdue, who was a two-star, and he's thrown for 7,000-plus yards over the last two seasons alone. Hell, in 2021, his completion percentage was 71.9, I believe it was the last I checked, which is the Purdue single-season record. And then Garrick McGee, he's only been at Purdue one year. year. But he took Charlie Jones, someone who transferred out of Iowa where they never passed the fucking ball, and – Made him a 1,300-yard receiver. He's got the most receiving yards in all of FPS entering bowl season. I mean, that's nothing to sniff at. (laughs) Like Just those three guys alone make you excited about what they can do
0: with the
2: weapons that Louisville has and the weapons that Louisville's bringing in.
0: So if he comes in and he ends up being the wide receiver coach, he's the most overqualified wide receiver coach that we've ever had, bar none, Uh, even considering Gunter Brewer's. Yeah, um, um I mean Brewer was just a record. really,
1: really good wide receiver coach. He right.
0: is a offensive-minded. Uh, so not here, to say Burr
1: wasn't, but here's
0: well. what Garrett's here's what Garrick McGee's done over the last decade plus. Uh He was the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Arkansas in 2010 and 2011. He coached the. He was the head coach at UAB for two years. Uh, then he came to Louisville after that. On the heels of that, he was under Bobby Petrino and was the offensive coordinator and qu- quarterbacks coach for. Betrino's uh, first year at Louisville, and then that kind of weird second year uh, where they had Reggie Lamar and Kyle Bolin all kind of chipping in at quarterback there. Uh, then he took off and was the offensive coordinator at Illinois in 2016, 2017. Then he was at Missouri as an analyst, and then a wide receivers coach in Missouri. Then he was an analyst, quarterbacks coach at Florida for two years, and finally he was a wide receivers coach at Purdue. So. This is a guy who is well traveled, but he's also had time as, as a head coach, uh, which is really interesting. And, and the other guy uh, that I want to mention as well is Ron English, who should be pretty high up the ladder as far as, you know, calling plays for Louisville on the defensive side of things. And if people remember, Ron English was the defensive coordinator at Louisville uh, in 2008. Uh, and that's how he kind of cultivated a relationship with the Brom family. Uh, you know, nobody likes to harken back to those Cragthorpe years because they were, they were just really kind of hard to believe considering that Bobby Petrino left the cupboard. So full, Steve Cragthorpe takes over, they go six, but they went seven and six, right. Or six and six, six and six. And then, then they went what four and eight the next year or something like that. Yep. Or maybe it was two, six and six twice and then four and eight. I don't know. I try to forget, but two and 10. Right. But (laughs) right. You're not lying there. Uh, but Ron English and his defense were one of the lone bright spots of the Craig Thorpe era. They kind of had some ballers on that side of the de- on that side of the ball, if you remember. It was really the offense that was just an absolute cluster uh, after Brian Brom left in 2007. They had the Cantwell, Cantwell and uh, Adam Froman years. No, not Cantwell. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam Froman. And there was another guy. Oh, what was that guy's name? They basically split reps. I'd have to look it up. I think Cantwell um, was in that, wasn't it? No, so Cantwell preceded that. Um, Cantwell, I, I believe maybe it was Cantwell. I don't remember that, that final season that he was there though. He had two quarterbacks that they couldn't figure out who they were going to start. It was a cluster either way. It doesn't matter. Cause we're talking about the defense. That defense was, was really solid. Um, was really solid under Ron English. And then when English left, that's when shit just hit the fan. Like they were awful on in every aspect of the game. I don't know if you guys remember that it was like a 66 to 14 loss to Rutgers. Uh, yep. they, they had some they had some bad L's uh, yeah, but- and
2: I actually have some of the stats in front of me from how he impacted uh, Purdue's defense when he got there. Let's
0: hear it, bro. Um,
2: in, in 2020, the year before he got there. Uh, Purdue was nationally out of 130 teams. They were 56 in total defense, 67th in scoring defense. And considering uh, he's the secondaries coach, 94th in passing defense, his first year. They were 48th in total defense, 34th in scoring defense, and 33rd in passing defense. Now, those respective numbers took a a slight dip this past season to 37th, 53rd, and 50th respectively. But, I mean, if you have an offense that you expect to be in the top 25, maybe even top 10 on a yearly basis, having at minimum a top 50 defense, you'll more often than not take it. Yeah,
0: Yeah. I mean, what do you – I was about to say, Vince, are you cool with that? Like, are you cool with having a top 10 offense as long as the defense is in the top 50 range?
1: See, that's always been the kicker with the the Brown teams. And I I imagine the coordinator before him was Nick uh, Nick Holt, who he probably carried over from Western. Uh, And I mean, man, they've just always given up a lot of points. But the the encouraging thing that I loved was hearing Jeff say that uh, I had to learn defense in the conference uh, that they were in. And I I mean, that was very, very encouraging for me to hear. And uh, I don't think that they'll have I think they'll have a very smooth transition to ACC uh, just with the style of play, uh, the different style of play. So I kind of see Louisville playing a little bit of bully ball up front with uh, how our coaches are now and maybe how our strength staff will end up being and how they'll end up shaping those guys uh, bodies out to be.
2: And I love that one comment that he had about, he run the ball occasionally. Yeah, run the ball
1: occasionally. <laughs> ah, Ruben heard that and was like, yep, Texas A&M. And yeah, we right.
0: <laughs> well, here's, here's the kicker. I mean, they, they had a running back that had more yards than any Louisville running back this season, which I granted, know. you know, Louisville was running back by committee, but they had a guy almost go for a 1,000 yards on the ground. So he jokes about not running the ball, but everybody runs the ball. It's like the teams that are the most unbalanced, which Purdue yeah. is. Mike they Leach still ran the ball like 32, say- 33% of the time, which is, that's still pretty solid. Like that's would be, you know, a little bit more than, than an average NFL team um, in, in the modern era. So with all, with all of that in mind, you know, Satterfield was more of a ground and pound, but you know, everybody has, has different, um, you know, things that they, different ways they looked to impact uh, the offensive end of the ball. One thing I will say I don't know, it, Matt, it, maybe maybe you already know this because you are always mm-hmm. looking at the statistics, but Vince, what do you think Purdue ranked as far as total offense this season? Oof.
1: Uh, I'm going to go 20th.
0: 50th. Wow. How about that? Yeah, their total wow. defense was better than their total offense. So, hey, I that
1: mean, happens, what, what, what Brown does well, though, is he gets – I mean, he develops people, but the guys that – are just dudes like Rondell Moore. He gets them the damn ball. And then these they other guys, the studs. Yeah, just feed, I mean, he's going to feed the studs all day. And I think at Louisville, he's going to have a plethora of studs whenever it's all said and done after the portal and everything works itself out.
0: So, uh, so looking at a different ranking site, they actually have Purdue at 53rd. I'm trying to find them in the, the year prior. So the year prior, last year, Louisville was 14th in total offense not seeing Purdue here towards the top, 22nd in total offense. I think that's about what fans should probably come to expect. I will say well, the, that
2: – The one stat that I know off the top of my head from 2021, which was their 9-4 and four season, they were fifth in passing offense that year.
0: Right, right. So that, that's that's pretty damn good, and especially given the competition, right? And I think that's the one thing that you have to, to factor in is that when he's moving to the ACC – He's moving to a little bit more of an offensive-oriented conference. Uh, it, you know, say you, you take this region of the country, right? You have the SEC, ACC, and Big Ten. You would say that the, big, the ACC is a more offensively-oriented conference, uh, given, you know, Clemson, Wake Forest, NC State, Louisville. Like, there's, you know, there's probably six or seven teams right off the bat that are consistently uh, top 25, top 50 in total offense. When you look at the Big Ten, that's absolutely – especially the Big Ten West – that's that is definitely more d- defensive oriented. Yet Iowa, who is screams just uh, they score more points points. I feel like off of defense and special teams than they do on offense. Uh, Nebraska, Wisconsin, like we're talking about names of is Wisconsin Big Ten West or the Big Ten East? Wisconsin uh,
2: is Big Ten West. Yes.
0: Okay, so so pretty much every every team in in their division, every team that they play year in and year out is absolutely. More, more defensively orient, oriented So it'd be interesting, you know, the ACC obviously next year is going to, uh, as, as I was reminded 10,000 times the other day, when I tweeted something about Clemson, uh, the, the ACC <laughs> is going away from their divisions. Well, and Louisville is not playing Clemson. <laughs> yes. Which means they're not playing Clemson, but they are still going to play a lot of teams that are more than willing to get in the shootouts with you, which I, if I have Jeff and Brian Brom and Gary McGee on my side, I absolutely uh, would be drooling at the thought of, of Louisville, um, you know, moving in that direction. Shall,
1: shall you say lighting up the scoreboard?
0: Oh yeah, up? <laughs> I would love the light of the. Scoreboard. Are
1: we bringing, Are we bringing back all the old Petrino sayings and stuff now? That oh no! no. Absolutely. No. Only if no. you we'll say just, it. In the light ways. the scoreboard. Light up the scoreboard. Speed City.
0: Uh... Oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and by by the way, oh. a little side note before we before we get out of here. Uh, into a, a different topic, um, the the Bobby Petrino, Texas A and M, Aggie yell. God, what, what do they call that? The yell.
1: I can't believe he is putting his yell pride later. Aside. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. I cannot believe it. I can't. I can't believe we're coming to the day where Bobby freaking Petrino is, you know, putting his pride aside, setting his sword down to become an offensive coordinator. That's what he.
0: But that's Jimbo. what he should have done ten years ago.
1: 100% but I mean he. Can't, I, I don't think it's going to happen I still don't think it's going to happen well, so here's, I don't here's think the he thing. can work one, under
0: that One, the offense is not Offensive coordinator position does not pay What a head coaching position pays uh, And number two Yeah, he doesn't get it well He doesn't play well with others um, So I think he's kind of gotten into that That mode of He doesn't have to prove himself anymore You know that he's an offensive genius Now just give him his money And let him coach your team, damn it um, so yeah, I mean that's. But, but, what, I, I'm just, but
1: what's Nick gonna do? Where's
0: Nick gonna go? Nick, can, <laughs> Nick needs to like go be a cart boy at a golf course or something. That's it a job for Nick. You I mean the, a, the
1: only one over there that I think has a shot of if Petrino does move on to Texas A&M is uh, Ryan Beard. I mean I think Ryan Beard has yeah. a bright, bright future in coaching. I don't know if he'll make it to a big D one school, but. I think he could work out well at Western it's, or somewhere. If
0: like. I remember right, is he the one that's married into the Petrino family?
1: Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. so. He married the golfer.
0: That's right. Okay. So yeah, I knew there's, yeah. I knew there's connection. Katie, right? Um, yeah. Just good, good times. I like how we're just dropping Petrino names now. Uh, but no, I, getting into what I was trying to say, I just want to hear Bobby Petrino one time as yell leader. Like, can you imagine? You know, there's forty thousand people there. It's a Friday night at midnight. And there's, there's five clowns and overalls don't, <laughs> like, you know, doing, doing their whole thing with, you know, their fake gun. And I just want to see Bobby come out there and go, giggle Maggie's, Maggie's
2: forget, for, forget about that. Let's just take a look at this for a second that there it's a very real possibility that there's going to be a staff with Jimbo Fisher, Poppy Petrino and DJ Durkin.
1: <laughs> Three of quite possibly the most toxic people in college football. Uh, that's dirty. Hey,
0: you, I, I mean, need you know a what,
1: shower. I need a shower leaving those meetings every day.
0: You know what they say about you know toxic relationships, though. You know, pe- those types of people just gravitate towards each other. So, <laughs> oh, it, wow. it just it just it just makes sense for them to all be together. Uh, I feel like that's kind of like how the Alabama situation is a little bit too. You know, Nick Saban is obviously a, maybe the best college football coach ever. Uh, but he gets some freaking characters in there for his his uh, one year rehab stance
1: That's that's why Todd Grantham's working out so well over there. <laughs> you
0: know, you know, it it is crazy the people that have come through his his rehab program. Like that really should be like a show on MTV. Like, uh, <laughs> anyways, let's get just getting a little bit more into the the new coaching tenure side of things. Right. I think the next big question, obviously, is is who's going to stay on this team, number one, who Louisville can continue to kind of court and get to sign in 10 days from today, maybe eight or nine days from when you're listening on National Signing Day, which is on December 21st, and, and finally, who they can get in the transfer portal. I think those are, the, those are obviously the three different ways to break it down. So first of all, players that, that have already left, uh, Matt, do you, have a, do you have an active list of players that, that have entered the transfer portal and or have already transferred?
2: I do. Let me just pull just it up. Just putting you quick. on the spot. Yeah, I know, right? I probably should have this ready on the rip, but, you know.
0: No, I, I know. I, I just, you know, that's that's my fault as an amateur host of the From the, from the Pink Teeth <laughs> podcast. Uh, that, you know, I just put you on the spot like that. Anyway, All right,
2: I've got it. So, okay. Nicario Harper t- transferred back in October, but as okay. as of guys who have transferred since the end of the regular season, there's uh, Trevion Cooley. Uh, Caleb Banks, who actually just today committed to Florida. Great place Uh, for him.
0: Great spot.
2: Absolutely. Uh, Jalen Mitchell, KJ Cloyd, Max Habana, Henry Bryant, Zach Edwards, Luke Kandra. Luke Kandra, who actually committed to Cincinnati, I believe, yesterday, which that makes sense because he's a Cincinnati native and went to Elder. So, of course. And then Rance Connor. So, as of right now, there's 10 players who have transferred uh, during this academic year and nine since the end of the regular season, two of which actually uh, withdrew the name for the portal, Derek Edwards and Ben Perry, the latter of which is a huge deal for. Huge, Whew, huge.
0: That was awesome so, to see. Well, let me ask you, Matt, and maybe Vince, you know, you actually kind of might've actually coached or helped recruit some of these players as well. Name three of those guys who are, a, would be, would be a major impact going forward. I think uh, Henry Bryant stands out to me. Caleb Banks, Caleb Banks. Caleb Caleb Banks, Banks.
1: absolutely. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh Ben Perry is an immediate impact guy. Uh right, but he's he's back, so
0: we're not we're not gonna uh uh
2: Kandra for sure because he I think with Caleb Chandler graduating, he he would have stepped into that starting left guard spot. So he that that one kind of hurts, but you know it, it makes sense since he's from Cincinnati.
0: I would say so. To coming to my mind, those are my three, and then maybe KJ Cooley because they're losing so much uh, to, to graduation uh, in that linebacking core that I think KJ might have actually had a spot, a chance to step in and, and not, if not, not be a starter, be like you know one A, you know maybe backing up like a uh, yeah, like a Monty a. pass rush kind yeah. of role possibly. Yeah. Yeah, So, I, that. That's- so I, I would say those are the four. I think the other six other uh, six or seven, whatever it stands at now, if you include Nicario Harper, I think that Louisville can more than survive those losses. So if anything, to me, the way that I look at the Ross reconstruction, uh, and then we can kind of just – we can limit it to this unless you guys have more comments on, on people leaving so far. I think that it, if those are your only losses, which I don't think they'll be, I, I think there will no. be a there'll be other people hitting the transfer portal when they see the class that's coming in. With that being said, uh, I, I think that that's, you know, if, if there's four guys you really feel like we're going to be an impact player going forward, you know, you're really looking at six scholarships that are being freed up, which is I think that's the best way to look at it. You know, when you lose, um, when you lose an, an offensive lineman, if you bring in, you know, a, a guy that, that might've played over him anyways, you can kind of negate that. Right. But yep, if you use yeah. like a Caleb banks, he goes to Florida and he might be an immediate impact guy at Florida, which you, I would think you should be. Then all of a sudden you look at this and it's a, uh, you know, kind of a completely different situation where you really have to come, come in and get a guy that's going to be a, a, like a Jared Goldwire, um, you know, Hen- Henry, Henry, uh, i t- such a hard name to say, Henry H <laughs> fan,
1: Henry. Femurua.
0: There you go. Thank you. Type of players. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's what we're gonna have to look at from that perspective. You know, we tried to write it off with the basketball team this year, right? We were like, okay, well, you lost this guard and this guard and this guard and this guard, and we were like, okay, well, don't worry. The coaching staff knows what they're doing. They will bring in more guards. They can't just look at this roster and be like, oh, we forgot to put a point guard on this roster. Oh, how silly of us. Oh, in
1: comes Zane Payne and Fabio Basili.
0: Look, and <laughs> that's, that's besides that's the Tom, point. I'm, but
1: I look, I'm looking for Jeff Brom to fill. There's there's some guys there's some key guys that are on Vince's must grab list now and Jacob. Hear, Blaine, this is a perfect yeah, Jacob, Blaine, I'm, Jacob Blaine. Jacob Blaine. Whenever you edit this, yes, I'm probably gonna end up having to owe you a beer because I'm kind of on your side on this one now. <laughs> uh, Stephen Harron is one that the kid from Stanford. We have to get. He's a he's a must grab. There's no reason that uh, he should have left the city to begin with. So second go around, I think with Jeff here, there's a very high uh, likelihood of him coming and returning to Louisville. And the other one is Aiden Robbins. I want Aiden back in the Louisville uniform. He put his name in the portal. He had a great year at UNLV. And, uh, you know, with us losing Tyon, us losing Cooley, uh, Ruben Owens now not coming in, Jalen Mitchell now gone. Uh, there's you know, now just two
2: backs on the roster and they're yeah, both the yeah. same type of back. Whereas well, Aiden Robbins is the, is like a bruiser.
1: 100%. Those are, those are the two guys uh, for me for now that I'm like, all right, Jeff, get these two guys to, to complete this class, this 23 class and uh, really, really make it a special one. Uh, and there's other guys too, that can be added that I'm sure Matt, you would love to discuss.
2: I, well, there's, there's one that comes to mind first. Now I don't know like what the status of his recruitment is at this point because it's been about a week since he entered the portal, but one name that stood out to me that I think what, that Louisville really needs, and it's at a position of need, was uh, Antonio Greer, uh, the inside linebacker at USF now. Greer was one of like three people on that Bulls roster that was worth a damn but Greer heading in he only played a handful of games this year because he ended up getting hurt but heading into this season he was a first team all AAC uh caliber linebacker and he I'm, I'm pretty sure uh he was their leading tackler alongside their other starting middle linebacker those two backs and then their punt kick returner like were really good and then now one of them's Probably going to get recruited by a high major, like a high major power five school. That and considering Louisville is losing Momo Sanogo, Monty Montgomery, I think Debo is going to slide into that Monty Montgomery role. But for a, in terms of a backer who's plays so a little bit more in pass coverage, not completely in pass coverage, but has more of a pass co- coverage role than a or a Debo, Greer kind of fits that a little bit more. So he was. I guess, really high on my, so to speak, transfer wish list, even though I'm not sure where it stands on that
1: front. But that's that's someone who stood out to me. You've got that quarterback from Western Kentucky as well. Right. I well, that was
0: that's exactly was that was going to be my next point was uh, we do have the quarterback from Western Kentucky, Austin Reed. Uh, if you don't know who this is, if you're not uh, in tune with social media, uh, Austin Reed <laughs> won, won a Division Two national title uh, two years ago and then is utilizing his kind of super senior powers three years ago. Excuse me, Matt. Sorry. Uh, but now he, he essentially came in. He had three years of eligibility with all the COVID stuff. Uh, he's able to, to play one more graduate transfer year uh, after having an unbelievable season last year at Western Kentucky. Uh, I believe he was second in passing yards yep. and fourth in, in passing touchdowns last season. Uh, and you know Western Kentucky has been—they've been just a powerhouse for, for just spreading the ball around. Really? Even ever since uh, Brom took over there. Um, Real
2: quick, Prez. Uh, since yeah. um, Austin Reed was number two, take a wild guess as who number one, because I knew who, I know who it is.
0: Oh, hmm. Oh man, I'm trying to think. It's not the guy from Purdue, is it? It's not. No, it's nope. not that guy. It's nope. uh, Malik oh, in. Who? <laughs> no, the, it was it the TCU guy.
2: It was. I'll give you a hint. It was not one of the Heisman finalists.
0: Shoot, I don't know. Brock Doman. No, get <laughs> out of here. Who was? He? Who was? Tell me.
2: Michael Penix Jr.
0: Wow. Oh, dude, that's right. Yeah, which is crazy. That's crazy to think about. Um, and for people who don't know, Michael Penix Jr., former Indiana quarterback, who was very successful, even though his team wasn't at Indiana. Transferred the, to Washington, and they had a fantastic yep. year this season. So, um, yeah, so Austin Reed, I mean, that's pretty good company, uh, you know, and especially considering all the quarterbacks that are behind him. Um, that's a damn good year to have, what, 4,300 passing yards and 36 touchdowns to only, I believe, nine interceptions. So he's the definition of a gunslinger. Uh, and since uh, the day that, that Jeff Brom was announced uh, to be Louisville's head coach, he has already had a crystal ball uh, that – you know, he's predicted to transfer to Louisville. So, sounds like the staff had already had some contact with him, uh, maybe even at, at Purdue. So, uh, definitely the a only kind to of go. I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, you no, know, you're fine. The only kind of snag there is that I, I'm not really fully in tune to the Purdue coaching search. But if I think one snag in, in Reed's potential commitment to Louisville was that I think Tyson Helton might be in the running for the Purdue job. So, it, I mean, if he does get that job, I mean, Reed's probably going to Purdue. But yeah, that's that that's a
0: really good point. Um, even then though, I feel like he's he'd be such a good fit. Like I, I think that I think Louisville would be able to sell him. But but again, that is his head coach. The ability I mean, to go I, and he'd for he'd be a for sure starter at, at Purdue. So that, I've that, made
2: known who I would like at quarterback.
0: Tell tell us one more time who is it, Matt.
2: Is are you telling me to say because I'm the only guy on this show who can actually pronounce his name?
0: Yeah, well, clear. We've been over this. I can't pronounce shit. So, what you got, <laughs> DJ man? Uyunglele? He's
2: not I, here. I know he's not coming here. He's probably going yeah. to the West Coast. But damn it, he is talented. He was just not in a good. He was not. He was not a fit in that Clemson offense. He just wasn't.
0: No, and that's not, I agree, and he wasn't a cultural fit there either. I just <sighs> think. That, I just think. What do you do? You, do you disagree? I mean, I, no, it's Clemson culture. Yeah, yeah well, I was going to say that they have some sort of culture. You have to have some sort of culture to, to win, what, two national championships and go to, like, six straight, yeah. uh, you know. Hey, I, I'll tell
1: you all what, that, that Pierce Clarkson to DeAndre Moore connection looked pretty good in the high school state championship. Mode. It did. Now, and I would honestly, not sign that on uh, next year on Saturdays. Honestly, before
2: the playoffs started, I thought, okay, maybe it probably is best to have, like, a stopgap uh, quarterback for a year while Pierce develops, but the way that he has killed it in the California state playoffs and then how they just absolutely because we're recording this on Sunday and how they absolutely took it to Sarah in the California state championship last night. I mean, and the fact that he'll have two of his high school receivers um, as a freshman at little, maybe he is ready to start day one. I mean, is it going to be a completely smooth transition? Of course not only like the top, like, like 10 caliber quarterbacks in the nation are, are able to start day one for a power five
1: program. But I mean, maybe it's something the, I mean, st- it's, the staff is privy to. He, he's coming in early. He's enrolling early in the spring. So he's going to be getting the playbook at the same time as every single quarterback on roster. Uh And you know, the, the people don't understand how important enrolling in the spring is. I mean, those kids get a full semester of, uh, Lifting and uh, spring ball and going to classes as a college student, uh, it's a huge advantage. And I I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. And still, we have Caleb Johnson on roster. And I mean, who's to say that we're talking about how well Jeff and Brian developed, have, have developed this two-star quarterback that they had at Purdue into a phenomenal quarterback? I mean, we still have Evan Conley and Brock Doman on roster who are two quarterbacks that can throw the football. So, I mean, uh, you and don't I'll know assume. how the you don't know how the development of either one of them will go or how well they could develop in a, you know, a Jeff Brom offense. Now, it, I mean, I'm just spitballing there, but right. we well, don't have a for sure definitive. That's our guy yet. And until we have right. that guy. You there's need. all possibilities out there because we're not at practice
0: again, not to make another ba- basketball analogy, but you always need <laughs> you always need a, a backup plan. And. I, I think that, that the Brahms understand that. And if it turns into a situation where they think that Pierce Clarkson can ultimately be the starter, then maybe they just, they opt to find somebody who has experience that would be a suitable backup. And they know they can come in and compete for the starting job. But I mean, just off the top of the dome, right? Like I just sat here and wrote down players that I knew uh, either started a game or, or played a considerable amount of time uh, during their freshman season. So you have both of the Brahms, Jeff and Brian, both played their freshman seasons um, Chris Redman, Teddy Bridgewater came in and took over his freshman season as did Lamar Jackson, um, as did Stefan LaFleur's and as did Reggie Bonifant. So that, that's a, that's a boatload of players that have come in to this program and been successful, uh, in their freshman seasons. However, the caveat to that is there's never been really a situation like, like Teddy Bridgewater. The perfect example is he took over for Will Stein. Will Stein was the perfect example of a quarterback that could that could be that kind of help you transition in, into uh, into a system type of guy but that being said all of those guys for the most part that, that I can remember came in you know for for summer camp they they weren't coming in back then you know the last month last week of December or first week of January right like those guys were, were coming in just had a, had a summer camp and just went for it right uh, so that that's a little different and and Again, to your point, Vince, as far as the quarterback situation, uh, you have Caleb Johnson as well, which I know you you like to point that out a lot.
2: Uh, I'm with Vince because I really think Caleb Johnson can be productive. He had really underrated high school film. I like him.
0: Yeah, I don't I, know I, what I mean, kind of hype like and Johnson. Gets so, my, my hesitancy is the same reason I think that we were hesitant about Malik in Satterfield's first season was that because he was pretty much not utilized. I mean, he was he was not utilized well under Bobby Petrino's in, in, in his last season. He basically came in and knew, you knew it was a running play, and when he tried to throw the ball, it looked really bad. I mean, let's be pretty frank about it. I mean, nobody thought that he was going to come in and do what he did in Satterf- Satterfield's first season. And looking back now, not to go off on some tangent or anything, but I wish he would have just played two seasons under Sat and got the hell out of here. because, and Not, not because of what he provided for the program, but for – his own mental well being, his NFL draft stock, all of that stuff, because it's kind of just gradually, just kind of just taking just a rocky landing, and it's got to the point of, and I've heard heard somebody say this before too, if you have a quarterback that's starting in his fourth year, uh, you're gonna have a fan base that's pretty apathetic about that quarterback, which is absolutely true. Uh, you would rather yeah, this you'd is, rather yeah. have a t- Teddy or Lamar that they get to their third season, and like God, I hope to God Teddy comes back, but I, dude, I get it. I get it if you go, both of those guys are first round picks, but the whole next season, everybody was saying, can you imagine this team with Teddy and Lamont? You know what I'm saying? Like that was, that was kind of, that's the vibe that we wished that we had with Malik Cunningham. Uh, but with that being said, I think there's absolutely a chance that Pierce Clarkson could, could start uh, right from the jump next season. I think there's a chance Caleb Johnson could start, but I wouldn't be mad if we had an Austin Reed. Because that guarantees—I'm no, not going to say guarantees you—but that gives you a much higher probability oh, yeah. of, of having a solid season next
1: year. One hundred percent. I mean, God, that, that kid could—you don't know—that kid could come in and just absolutely light it up. He's almost picture perfect for an ACC quarterback. You know, just somebody a gunslinger, like you all said.
0: Yes, and, he and here, even,
1: but I think regardless
2: of who we have at quarterback, I think Louisville needs to get at least one wide receiver in here who is a, a a game breaker, a playmaker, not just not a wide receiver for death purposes, because as of right now, they're about to have eight uh, D Wiggins, Amari Huggins, Bruce, Chris Bell, Chance Morrow guys who are already on the roster. And then uh, Deandre Moore, Jalen McLean, William Fowles, Kataris Hicks coming in freshman. So that's eight guys right there. That's a, it's a decent size wide receiver room, but I think they need one more guy. And if they're going to bring in one more guy, it, it Better be someone who you know can start day one, because we saw how. how, Before, you know what? Screw it. We saw how how much these wide receivers struggle to create separation this past season. Now, a lot of that will probably change with this new staff who is a little bit more privy to offense in the Power Five. But I'm not going to just magically forget what I saw with my own two eyes through most of the season. These wide receivers, while they have a bunch of potential, largely struggle to create separation. Give me me a guy that can get
0: open. Give me a guy that can get open because this year, the the only issue that I had with Tyler Hudson was he might have been the best wide receiver in the league. Like that's not, you know, I mean, the, the people voted him as what? A second, uh, second Second, team. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's not an exaggeration at all, but this is a guy who, who, he was the best wide receiver in the league because he couldn't get open. (laughs) Like Malik (laughs) just knew he could throw it to him and he was going to catch it. Like that was, I mean, he had one drop on the entire season on a ridiculous amount of targets.
2: I Um, mean, he, on one hand, really good at making contested catches. On the other hand, he was always making contested catches. (laughs) And so that was going to
0: be my point. The, The guys who can get open and make contested catches, those guys play for Alabama. Uh, so, so Louisville's either going to have to find a transfer like that. I don't know. You know, there might be a guy that used to play for Louisville that could come back and and be pretty impactful. I don't know. Uh, but in all seriousness, kind of going into before we make this a, a three-hour-long podcast here, um, going into you know what the recruiting class is looking like coming in because that's kind of the next stage, right? Like, you know, we know we're going to bring in some guys in the portal, but we don't really know exactly what that's going to look like until after signing day, probably. Or you know, like, you know, maybe at the at the start of next week, right? Like mm-hmm. when when players we've had a chance to have the staff make contact with them. We know what our numbers gonna be looking like, we know who we're gonna be losing. Who we're gonna Wait, be when to
1: is know. the uh when is the signing day? 21st. The 21st. Is the 21st so it's 10 so. days from now.
0: Yeah. So so it's uh well, that's a Tuesday or, or is a Wednesday. It's a Wednesday. Wednesday. Wednesday the 21st, Vince. Anyways, um, yeah, before we we got to get into a lot more, but before we get into a break, um, we have seen that Louisville's lost a couple guys to the portal. As we mentioned, uh, Luke Kandra has flipped to Cincinnati, um, and then Jaden Davis, who was a commit, uh, just flipped to Cincinnati just tonight, uh, which I feel like everybody kind of saw saw coming. Now, trying to read the tea leaves, being the the PIs that we are, uh, <laughs> and, and kind of you know, kind of seeing what could be on the radar. Do you see anybody else that's in this vaunted recruiting class, uh, kind of that's wavering that you might see them leaving? I mean, to me, the ones the ones that I don't want to see are Jamari Johnson and DeAndre Moore, and I think those are the two guys that might be have have the best case for not coming in. Now, with that being said, I think that they would have the worst case as far as the, if they want to come in, they they just got an upgrade and in, in in the the coach that that they're getting as far as offensive play calling, but. I think those are the two guys that seem to be wavering the most. What are you guys seeing out there on on the horizon? Go ahead, Matt. I don't know as much about this as you.
1: Did. I was going to say. I, I I hope I am fingers crossed that we get all these guys on the dotted line, especially DeAndre Moore. He's the one that I think is a program changing wide receiver.
2: Oh, absolutely. I think since, especially since Jeff Rom just went to that California State Championship. I mean, I could be wrong, but I I expect at this point that all of the Bosco boys end up coming in even DeAndre Moore with even the fact that he was kind of uh, flirting with Texas and UGA I, I honestly feel like he's probably going to stick especially going into a system that is extremely conducive to feeding star wide receivers so I th- I think he should be fine um, some other guys who I, I don't want to necessarily necessarily put on flip watch or decommit watch but you know guys to monitor uh i know stanquan clark's been i think being pursued by auburn for a while now uh at green i believe was talking to uh, old miss the last i checked uh those are a couple guys that first turned out. i know Rayquan uh, raekwon atkins um was talking Would just went on an ov to cincinnati which i think it's hysterical that uh john heron Louisville, one of Louisville's recruiting coordinators, met Adkins at the airport to say hi to him. What a him baller he, move! To, before deep. he went on his official official visit to Cincinnati, just, that is just hysterical. <laughs> but uh, it's, as far That's as guys who, oh, absolutely. But as as far as guys who could potentially not be in the fold come national signing day or early signing period, excuse me. I think the guys that, to look for are Adonai Green, which that. That would be a big loss there because he's made extreme progress in a senior season. Uh, Stan Quan Clark, which that would suck from, from just a pure scholarship standpoint because the linebacking core is relatively thin-ish. It's more so of an issue at outside backer. And then another guy to monitor would be Madkins, who could be on flip watch to Cincinnati, Could might not be, but we'll see.
0: I mean, when, when I look over this recruiting class, and, and by the way, uh, number one, Louisville has already brought in their first commit uh, of the Jeff Braum era and just not to just squeeze, you know kind of squeeze that in there but Louisville has gotten a commitment uh from Micah Carter St. X St. X guy sorry Vince I uh, think he's whatever we'll take him man we'll I was about to him. say he looks like a pretty damn solid yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, I, I, if you vibrant. watch
1: that St. X Trinity game man that kid was all over the field St. X has some freaking ballers right now they got some dudes that can play ball
0: When's the last time you remember now when you were lining up against guys say in in, in high school? Do you remember there being a 6'5, 260 hundred and sixty pound defensive end for San X? Uh,
1: oh hell no! I mean they had a they had Charles Walker who ended up going to be a pretty good player at Kentucky. Uh, they had an offensive lineman who uh, was pretty good. I think his name was Tyler Haycraft. Uh, they had another <laughs> uh, tackle that was a uh, all right, you know, going to Cincinnati and transferred and were flaked out. But I mean. Man, Sanex hasn't had defensive guys like this in a while. It's cool.
0: I mean, I can't I can't think of a defensive lineman with that size for Trinity either. No, I mean, I mean not since Jason Hatcher and
1: Stephen Heron. Yeah. I mean, well, I guess well, shoot. Yeah, the kid's more on Jason Hatcher's size than he is Stephen Heron's size. I mean, he, he's a big kid with broad shoulders. I mean, he can easily get up to like a solid 265, like a like a fit 265, if you guys know what I mean.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, I'm, I I love love them thick boys. Um, I mean, (laughs) when I'm looking at players, when I look at this roster, right. And when I look at the, the recruiting class, what I try to kind of piece together is who are the players that I feel like are going to make an instant impact when they come in either a guy that's going to take a starting spot right away, or a guy that's going to contribute minutes next season. If, If he's not that, then he is not to say that he couldn't be something down the line, but you can work with that, right? So when I look at, at this recruiting class, I think DeAndre Moore is, is a day one starter. Oh
1: percent. Yeah. he's like, yeah.
0: I can't imagine a situation where he wouldn't start. Uh, when I look at this this recruiting class, I think that Madden Sanker is is right up there, if not a starter, he's he's an immediate role player. Yep, I think he's. I think he's six man Immediate.
1: On, on line. Yeah,
2: immediate role player. I mean, it, it's hard for a true freshman to start. On the offensive, on um, offensive line, especially at power five, but at, at the minimum, I I do think he's a role player type guy.
0: Aaron Williams, at least a depth piece. I think they got they got some guys coming back at cornerback, at least a depth piece. Pierce Clarkson, up in the air, but absolutely will be a part of the quarterback conversation. Doesn't matter, he's coming anyways.
1: He'll be on, he'll be on the field at some point, regardless if right. he's not the starter. Just because freshmen get four games still. Until yeah. they, that's why we were oh, so. Yeah. Well, that's why we're so perplexed. Caleb didn't play right. last year. Right, I mean,
0: yeah. It doesn't dying. make sense. And you know what? What if they just threw out Caleb Johnson? I'm just saying. I don't think they're going to. But what if they just threw Caleb Johnson out there against it, Cincinnati? I,
2: just, just real quick, on an anecdote on that. Just look, going off the uh, the bowl death chart. Of course, number one is Brock. Number two is Evan Conley. We haven't <laughs> seen all all season.
0: I was about to say, if, if Brock gets hurt, do you think they're trot- they're trotting Caleb or uh, Evan Conley out there? Yeah,
1: Evan's going out there, man. <laughs> They're going to run the football.
0: <laughs> I Listen, if, if Rock goes out, I would not be shocked to see Caleb Johnson. I'll just say that. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, it, I, I, don't, I don't know. It, and it's not anything against Evan. I just think that Evan's been hurt. Oh, for Nathan, so Mac-
1: Nathan McElroy is still on the roster, too. Walk on. Trinity kid. He could swing it. He'll probably, he's the type of kid that, I mean, would go out there and throw for, like, 250 and win us the game and just say F it and probably – Never play. You just game. say yellow
0: and have like four interceptions yeah. and a touchdown, but to throw for like four hundred yards. Yeah, yeah no win wins. the game. Yeah. <laughs> um, Okay, so we. I think we both. We all three agree that Adonai Adon- Green and and Stan Quan Clark are guys that are co- going to compete for a starting spot. Oh, absolutely, Anywhere especially Stan
2: Quan with with the depth at linebacker how it is right now. I think Stan Quan Clark has a very good chance. You know, to speaking of, of
1: linebacker, did you all see the picture of Popeye Williams with your Sears dead? Is looking good. Is looking oh God, he's so. massive! <laughs> yeah, so uh, expect him to re- uh, wreak some havoc next year. I mean, that kid's—I uh, was nervous about Yasir's role and uh, the hole that is going to be left by him, but I'm—I'm I'm fairly confident
0: that Yasir has taught Popeye very well, and uh, they're going after a lot of interior defensive linemen. But I forget, like, okay, you're going you're to have two legitimate interior de- defensive linemen instead of a bunch of like Monty Montgomerys running around out there, so. Um, yeah, that's that's definitely a big, you know what I'm saying, a lot, you know, Louisville kind of had a lot of, uh, a lot of linebackers that came down and, and put their hand in the dirt or, you know, were coming off an edge rush uh, more than they were sit- you know, had stuff coming up the middle. So, um, yeah, before we get off too much of a tangent, seems like Luke Burgess is locked in. Uh, so we want to discuss oh, yeah. him. Micah Carter is locked in, uh, j- you know, new commit. Uh, Jamari oh, yeah. Johnson, the tight end, uh, I-, I believe – would be a day one starter unless there's a name that we didn't talk about. Uh, I think Milton Wright would, would play right away. So how about that?
2: But, but then again, that, but we I mean, don't even know what Milton right. Wright's status is right now.
0: That's true. But in my opinion, I think that he'd consider transferring. Just, just my opinion. And because yeah, pretty-
1: the academic standards at Louisville aren't Purdue. <laughs>
0: Well, and because he wants he was, to play, we established that company. last
1: podcast. We don't need yes. to bring up okay. ACT scores again. As, as we get really on this list, true. I think
0: I think Jalen McLean would, would play quite a bit. I'm not sure about Kataris Hicks. I'm not sure about Raquan Atkins. I'm not sure about William Fowles.
2: At, at the risk of sounding mean, I honestly think the only reason Kataris Hicks is in the fold is because he's teammates with Stanquan Clark. There is potential with Hicks, maybe not year one potential, right? But right.
0: I was about to say, I, I, he did not have any sort of star rating or anything until he committed to Louisville. Yep. Uh, which is not to say that he's not a good, you know, can't be a good prospect. But his right. his tape is limited. He's, a, he's very fast. Um, oh, yeah, he's a burner. Seems, seems like a sure-handed type of guy. But he does not seem like he's, he's quite there as far as, you know, he'd be a bit of a project. Which, again, is fine. But when we're looking at the overall structure of the roster – I think we're saying that there's probably six to ten guys out there that would either start right away or be in the two deep right away, which is huge. And so that's that just highlights the importance of, of making sure that we keep as many of these guys around as we can. Before we get into Cincinnati, we do have our buddies over at Kern's Corner that we want to talk about. Winners around the corner, and two <laughs> to three of us know a lot about Chile. Uh, and I'm not going to say who the I'm not going to say who the third person is, but um, <laughs> Jacob loves to talk about, it, but they have everything, man. They got burgers. They have uh, well patty melts. They, it's it's all excellent, good bar food. Excellent drink prices, and the best part of it is, I know a lot of people drive by. They see that outside area. It's very enticing, but during the cold weather, they have a nice, wonderful inside as well with lots of TVs. Great place to go and watch the game. The number one thing about Kerns Corner that I like, right? So I just came back from from vacation. And so I'm, I'm trying to find all these spots. I'm trying to, you know, learn new spots and that sort of stuff. So you Google a place, right? And the first thing that comes up is there's a dollar sign. They got $4 signs there. And, you know, if it's like $3 signs, like, all right, well, that's pretty expensive. You know, $2 signs. Okay, whatever. But that's, they have $1 sign on there, which means it's... <laughs> <laughs> it's as inexpensive and as, as affordable as it gets. Number one, and number two, they have a four point five star out of five star rating. So that means that they are affordable and they're a great place to go. Everybody enjoys being there. Uh, it's it's a it's a place that's that's become a part of local legend. Currents Corner. It's on Barstown Road, right by Lakeside Drive. You guys know where uh, Lakeside Swimming Pool is, right outside oh, yeah, dude. Great Lakeside yep. Swimming Pool. Uh, so that's a perfect perfect reference. You probably passed it a hundred times. If you've never been there. Uh, you guys need to stop by, grab some some lunch and a couple beers with your buddies, go after work and watch the game, whatever happens to be. Kern's Corner, big front of the pod. On the other side, Cincinnati Talk. Can't wait. All right, and we are back. Thank you for that wonderful transition music, Jacob. Uh, we cannot wait to talk about the most awkward game of the century. Louisville against Cincinnati. Why might that be, guys? Might it be because Louisville's beloved Scott Satterfield has transitioned from Louisville to Cincinnati. Wow, what a coincidence. And they're playing them in a bowl game. I'm sure nobody will talk about that for the rest of the <laughs> in week. In a bowl game on but the same
2: sideline. <laughs>
0: on the same sideline. I'm sure nothing will go wrong. Uh, my first question before we get into anything Vince, I kind of asked you this, and you said no, and that's all you said. So I'm, I'm curious to, <laughs> so I'm curious to know why you think this. You don't think that Satterfield's going to be at least advising Purdue on little playbook, Uh players to watch out for oh, Cincinnati. Um, yeah, yeah. You don't oh, think he's you good advise Cincinnati? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't you know. said Purdue. Yeah,
1: I don't. Oh, know I said Purdue, Purdue.
0: Did I say Purdue in the?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Set up right there, but it's okay. I got what you're saying. Oh, okay. All right. I don't that's think. I don't think he will just because he's recruiting right now and trying to put together some form of a class because he can't coach all our 23 kids uh, like he, for whatever reason, thought he could. Uh, so I, I, I don't think he will. I think they'll, uh, they trust uh, that coach that uh, I can't, his name's slip in my mind. What's his name? That Cincinnati interim coach that Seth's retaining on his Eric Coombs. Yes. So I I mean I'm sure Sat and then trust him just go out there, run your Luke Fickle BS and uh get out of there <laughs> hoping with a uh hoping with a peg of nails. But uh you know this is a game for me that uh it it has become a must win in my opinion. As awkward <laughs> and as weird as this game is uh you know F that, like get your ass out there and go win the damn game because uh, at the end of the day, your head coach thought that the players that are on that field right there are better than you. That's why he left to go to another school. He thought they were better. He thought they were a better option. So I would take that as a personal slight and take this game very personal. And, and, you know, Uh, everybody's freaking out about the GAs and QCs and stuff. And I think Keith Wynn pointed it out that they help out a lot during the scouting report and everything during the week, which they do. Uh, you know, Pete Thomas called plays for app. Whenever Sat did this the first time first go around with us. Uh, this is where a lot of these coordinators, these QCs and people, they ended up going and propelling themselves into great jobs after these games, because they, they call such a good game or they do something really well or, you know, something works out in their favor. Uh, so I, you know, I expect them to be prepared, I, as, as prepared as you can be given the situation. I'm sure some guys are clocked out and it's weird, and they don't really give a damn. But uh, I expect the ones that are on the field to to you know give their all for the bill one last time.
0: Let me ask you this, then <laughs> No, I agree. I mean, I hope, dude. God forbid. I mean, I, I think number one, the the theme is going to be, you know, win it for the seniors. Do it for the seniors. Because that's what I saw a lot of. You know, I, I know that you've you've kind of spoken to some of these guys and been around them a little bit, um, but I saw a lot after their their football banquet on, on Saturday night that that's kind of the the motto is you know one more ride, let's go, let's do it for the seniors and there's a lot of them, um, yeah. and we know that everybody's going to be playing in this game except for Malik Cunningham and Keytril Clark, Tyler uh, Hudson and, but, and Tyler Hudson and Tyler Hudson. Excuse me, uh, I, I'm assuming with his announcement today that he is officially going to the draft that Ketro Clark is not going to play. Correct. Um, uh, so, so essentially you have one guy on one starter on the defensive side of the ball and two starters on the offensive side, one of whom probably wouldn't have played anyways in Malik Cunningham uh, just because of his injury status. Um, mm-hmm. But with that in mind, I mean, Louisville's bringing back, you know, most of their dudes to, to kind of face a Cincinnati team that, that might, be a little bit limited we've talked about that a little bit uh, but one one more question as far as <laughs> oh
2: boy are they limited and i'll get to that later
0: <laughs> uh, one, one more question for you vince as far as as this the coaching structure how difficult would it be for them to change their signals and and you know the way that they call plays that could uh, really mix things up
1: i don't think they'll do that uh, i don't think there will be a need for it which i mean like i said i don't think sad will be over there uh Give them, giving them inside scoops on hand signals and things like that. Anyways, I mean, we'll
0: oh, just see, go after. I mean, granted, you you've been much more well, in, in, in the middle of this stuff. So like, you were you were there for the Petrino transfer to Satterfield. So like, I I, I get you know, I'm not going to like override you on that at all. But I just I can't foresee a situation where where the, I don't think he's really
1: allowed to. Is he allowed to? Oh sure, coach, I don't see why not. Coach his team. Coach that, or well, I that? I don't. I don't
0: think necessarily or? that it has to be coaching. I think that Kerry Coombs or you know one of their staff members could could approach. like
1: I'm sure. I'm sure those conversations are going down, but I doubt it would be with uh, with hand signals. It'd be more schematically. Oh, if they line up in two tight end, expect this. If they line up in okay, blah okay. blah blah, expect that. I mean, yeah, those conversations with Sat are probably going down.
0: So would you would you expect the game to be called differently then? So if, if I the think it's going to be called different. differently
1: because of the people that are calling the plays, okay. the guys that are there, the QCs and the GAs that want to get a that some I mean the you know, some of those guys might not have got a phone call from Scott Satterfield yet. They yeah. might not know uh, what's the next opportunity for them. I mean, Mark Ivy and Josh Stepp are still there two guys that I mean I mean we haven't heard anything about either one of them going to Cincinnati and I mean as far as you know they probably haven't gotten that phone call so and a lot of those QCs are probably thinking the same thing and you know are out to prove a point and that's how guys like Pete Thomas get on the 30 under 30 list for going out there and calling a dime piece of a game against uh whoever they played in their bowl game and they win the bowl game and that that's just how guys make a name for themselves in this coaching uh profession so i'd I'd expect guys like zeb spear to step up and seth price to step up and uh you know a bunch of those quality control guys that you don't see every day on a daily basis you don't hear from at all on these recruiting trips so
0: this is what i I love this is what i I I love about talking to you Vince, because (laughs) the average fan is not going to know any of that shit (laughs) like i mean let's be honest You'll look at the, the team picture at the beginning of the year and go, holy effing S, there are a ton of staff members on this team. Like, and if you remember before the yep. season, I counted, there were like 67 people in a, in a polo and, and shirt. No, and no student assistants. And Yeah. And the, so. And
1: team picture, that always made me kind of mad. But yeah,
0: yeah. So in reality, there's like 90 people that have a hand in this. So even though they're like, okay, yeah, we're taking this coach. Lance Taylor is going to coach for, coach for Western Michigan. We're taking this guy. In reality, there is so there's almost a coach per player. So in reality, it's just the next man up mentality. And Deion Branch, who's the associate head coach, for those who aren't familiar, uh, it, you know, he's going to be kind of delegating more than anything, uh, and then just deciding. You know, you call. You know, you're calling these formations. You're calling these formations. You're in charge of this aspect of the game plan. You're in charge of this. And it's kind of just business as usual. Uh,
1: I mean, I mean, even meeting, even meeting wise, uh, a guy like Curtis Fitch, who's the quarterback GA, he has ran quarterback meeting rooms hundreds of times. Uh, whenever Ponce would have recruiting trips or whatever during the spring, right? Uh, same thing goes with Pete, whenever Pete would be on the road and stuff. Like, I mean, these guys are more than capable. And it's, in my opinion, it's, uh, it's it's an ease for a lot of these players to possibly play for these QCs and these GAs. Uh, they probably feel a little bit more free, like they can make some mistakes and uh, be a little bit more comfortable because a GA or a QC is not gonna, you know, MFO Presley. What the hell, blah, blah, blah. it's gonna be more <laughs> of a at press, like, bro, what are you doing right there? You gotta take a dig, like, take that route, right? Five, five take that route five yards deeper, and right off his ass, and you'll be good you know, type, type deal like that. So it's more of a conversation opposed to where it's an ass ripping because the age difference, you know, right. a coach is usually the way with older. I'm not going to say way older, you know, in their 40s or 50s. Usually it's whereas GA QC is going to be in their, you know, late 20, mid late 20s, early 30s type deal. So it's more of a conversation. Uh, I'd expect the guys to play a little bit more free. The guys that are still bought in and want to win the
0: game. Right, right. I, I, I think that, you know, a guy like Amani, Yasir Abdullah, uh, you know, maybe even a, a guy like a Marshawn Ford. You know, these guys that are going – it's their last ride. It might be their their last chance to – you know, you'd never know what's going to happen on the next stage. Like, say Yasir Abdullah is a third-round pick, uh, which I, I'm not sure where he's projected right now. But just say he is. But then he goes to the Broncos, and the Broncos all of a sudden get an opportunity to have a free agent come in and all of a sudden, he's not even making the 53-man roster. Like, all that stuff can click so quickly. Look at uh, – like, it happens all the time in professional sports. You never know when it's going to be your last opportunity is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And there are guys on this team who know for a fact they at least get one more chance at Louisville. And so, they're going to do it for their brothers. They're going to do it just to have that one last opportunity to, to get it done. Uh, Matt, this is a perfect transition, actually, for kind of the questions I have for you. You were at open practice – on Tuesday, I believe, I'm trying to remember now, maybe Thursday. I can't, I can't remember what, what day of the week it was. It,
2: it was Saturday.
0: Okay. Sorry.
2: No, it's okay. It, it's been a hell of a week.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you were, so that was yesterday. So you were yeah. at open practice, number one. Um, so I want to get your thoughts on that. And number two, you kind of in this, we'll go with this first, actually. Cincinnati, Um, they have a lot of players who are opting out of the game and or transferring and or sitting out because they are preparing for the NFL draft. Um, yes. Give us a little rundown of, of who those guys are uh, and why, why it matters to Cincinnati. Why Louisville fans care about that?
2: So, uh, I mean, of course we've already gone down. How Louisville has a fair amount of people into the transfer portal uh, guys to for the NFL draft, a, a few impact guys, a few guys we didn't anticipate to see like a huge role. Um, for Cincinnati, it seems like just at first glance and just kind of going over who these guys are, who, who they've had enter the portal, they have have had a lot more impact type players either declare for the draft or opt out. And the two guys, as Vince is continuing to struggle with his laptop freezing and whatnot, <laughs> but anyways, I digress. They've had a couple guys um opt out of the bowl because they're declaring for the NFL draft. Um that would be wide receiver Trey Tucker and then tight end Josh Weil. So Weil is their starting tight end. He ended up having 326 yards, three touchdowns. Tucker had 672 yards, three Our touchdowns. Three touchdowns. Touchdown. So you know, about a thousand yard duo right there. But wait, there's more in terms of wide receiver core. Uh, Jaden Thompson and Nick Martiner, their number three and number four wide receivers also entered the portal. So just looking at it from a pure receiving and past Kander standpoint, you've got four of your top five guys who are not going to be playing in this bowl. Now I say that because the one guy that is playing in the top five is Tyler Scott. And had he not missed a couple games in the middle of the season, he'd be a thousand yard receiver right now because he's got 899 yards, nine touchdowns, uh, He's a burner, a little a 5'11 guy. So, like he he's definitely someone that the defense has to take tabs on. But the problem is Cincinnati's not going to have their starting quarterback for this game. And that's not because of bowl opt out or transfer portal. No, their starting quarterback Ben Bryant, he was hurt in the second to last game of the year against Temple, I believe. And he's out for the season. So it, they're, we're going to see Evan Prater in this game, and he's already got one start under his belt. It was against Tulane, you know, top 25 competition. I mean, I know it's Tulane, but they are top 25 good. He went 10 for 26 for 102 yards and an interception. So passing wise, he's not great, but. He was way more runner than Ben Bryant was. He had 18 attempts, 83 yards against Tulane. And then when you take into account that UC has a solid starting running back in Charles McClelland, who had 834 yards in the season and seven touchdowns, I would expect there to be hardly any passing game from UC at all in this game and have, I would say, them run the ball over half the time, maybe even two-thirds of the time. And I'd say like those other one-third of the plays that are passes, like a majority of them, are going to go to Scott. But anyways, going back to impact guys who have entered the portal for UC, going over on the defensive side, they were hit really hard in the secondary. Uh, Jaquan Shepard, who – I think is just looking at stats and PFF grades and whatnot, is their top cornerback, one of their top cornerbacks on the roster. He's already in the portal and committed to Maryland just earlier today. And then JQ Hardaway, he was a rotational guy in the secondary. He also entered the portal. So that's two really impactful cornerbacks right there. And then their backup defensive end, Noah Potter, he's also in the portal. So that's a couple of key pieces there. Now, so yes, they do have some, some really – solid pieces on defense that have opted out of the bowl, but for them, they still have their top defensive asset in the bowl. And this is someone that Louisville not only has to circle on the depth chart, but circle twice, maybe even circle a third time for good measure, because not only is he their top defensive asset on the team, he was the American defensive player in the year in linebacker Ivan Pace. So just, just listen to these stats for a second. 120 total tackles, 48 solo, 19 and a half tackles for loss, nine sacks, four pass breakups, seven QB hurries, two forced fumbles. Sounds like someone that Louisville should probably, you know, keep tabs on. And he's not the only guy who's, you know, worth his salt on this defense. Guys like Ty, it's Ty Van Fossum, Jaheem Thomas, they've had also had really good seasons. Cincinnati kind of is, Defensively speaking, is a little bit like Louisville. They've had a really good defensive year, and they caused a lot of havoc in terms of forcing sacks and tackles for loss. Actually, when you look at total team stats, they've got the 23rd ranked defense in all of college football. Now, again, they did play in the American, which the the competition isn't as stiff as it is in the a- AAC. But their defense still got the job done. So, Ivan Pace is going to be have is someone to for for Louisville to look after, but going back to like I said the original topic was the transfer portal one of the more underrated portal entries for UC was their kicker Ryan Coe who was voted second team all AAC he was literally the only person to attempt place kicks for Cincinnati the only guy and he went 19 for 23 on year and field goals a perfect 44 for 44 on PATs so whoever UC trots out in this game to kick Has not done it all season. So if UC gets into a situation where they have to kick a field goal, they might take a risk and go for it because whoever they're going to try out there is not taking a kick all year.
0: That's that's something. So so, we're for sure. So we know for sure that the players who have put their name in the transfer portal for Cincinnati are not going to play, right?
2: Correct. I just checked it today.
0: Okay. I, I was going to say, because, you know, there was some talk, you know, when people saw in practice on Saturday, Ben Perry was still there and practice. Everybody's like, Oh, good on him. Really, you know, being there for his teammates. And then he came out after practice and he was like, yeah, I'm coming back. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, it wasn't he,
1: just, I'm coming back. He dropped the uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm not having leaving. I'm not yeah. effing leaving.
0: <laughs> what a great, what a great movie, by the way. Uh, so let's get into this. Then Matt, kind of a transition to the open practice. Um, without, you know getting into the exact play calls or posting them on twitter or anything <laughs> like that um what anything that stood out to you at all at practice as far as who is leading in position groups any players that are playing any players that are you know what's the vibe like like is, is there anything crazy going down? on what what happened on practice what happened to practice?
2: so Kind of going back to one of the first topics we had uh, on the show, the energy, even though it w- it was a weird practice, because it was, there were not as many people there as a normal practice. I mean, duh, when half the coaching staff is gone and you've already had 10 defections to the portal, yeah, it's going to be a little bit bare. But going off of what Dion Branch told us after that practice, like the energy was still really high. The guys were still flying to the ball. They – I mean, had I not known any better, I would have thought that this coaching staff and roster was still relatively intact. I mean, their spirits for the most part are high. I'm sure like Vince said, or I'm sure there's some guys who are not completely, you know, tuned in. And I'm sure we're going to see at least another addition or two to the portal between now and kickoff. Because, you know, that's just the nature of the beast nowadays. But they seemed like they were locked in from the jump and just going and going through the motions. Like, yeah, let's, we got, we got a job to do. Let's prepare for it. Uh, and like, like you said, Presley, without like giving away too much um, let's just say that there's going to be defense. I mean, and I, and I say that not because like the offense looks terrible, but because like, just because of the various, you know, offensive inconsistencies that we've seen all year. And then you go into this game Facing a defense, that is good. And then you've got, you've got Brock Doman who has had great moments, but then he's had moments where like in the Kentucky game where you think, okay, what's going on here. And then the fact you only have two running backs for this game, two scholarship backs, should I say, and then your top wide receiver is not going to be playing here. He hasn't made an announcement yet, but I assume Tyler Hudson is probably declaring for the NFL draft that. And the fact that he went through senior day activities as a junior. Right. So Just going off that alone, I would expect the offense to have a little bit of trouble moving the ball. Now, in the same breath, because the aforementioned reasons with UC and their issues with quarterback, not issues at quarterback, with their injuries at quarterback, and then transfer portal uh, defections at pass catcher, and the fact that Louisville's defense is, for the most part, intact for this game, especially, like, I don't think they've lost, with the exception of of Keetra Clark, they haven't lost a single starter for this. Both of these defenses should excel, and it's going to be, as I like to say, so bad it's good type bowl game, especially the fact that both head coaches are gone and it's two rivals. This game is going to be, in terms of watchability, it's going to be up there for maybe not the best of reasons, but it, it should be an entertaining and competitive bowl game. Because the defenses are excelling, and maybe not the offenses.
0: Number one, so ESPN FBI FPI um, has Louisville a gives Louisville a fifty fifth freaking a man. It gives Louisville a fifty five point four percent chance of winning the game. However, and I kind of teased this for you guys uh, before we came on. Hopefully, nobody's looked. What do you think the fan consensus is? Right, so. So for people who don't know, who haven't done it before, ESPN gives you uh, an opportunity to pick each bowl game and then rank them by confidence. So for instance, if you thought Kentucky, Iowa was you're the most confident that Kentucky is going to win that game. Then if there's 34 games and you give that, you just sign that 34. Right. And if you thought that Louisville Cincinnati was the biggest toss up, you just throw that. That's a one pointer. If you lose, no big deal. I don't get that. I don't get the the point, whatever. So uh, you know, that's that's something they've been doing for a while, but it also shows you who are the fans picking. Right. And so I was shocked at how many fans are picking Louisville. What percentage of fans do you believe are, are picking Louisville to win this game? I'm
1: 60.
2: laughing right. I'm laughing right now because I've got ESPN on the background and they're running a, a segment on this very topic right now.
0: <laughs> I'd say oh, really? 60 percent of the fans think Louisville's going to win. All right. So, Matt, you already know what it says.
2: No, I don't know what it says. They they're about to list all the bowls, so I don't know what it actually says. I just think it's funny that they have that segment going on. You, but anyways, um, oh god, I'm gonna say they're really confident in Cincinnati.
0: Why do you think that?
2: Just because that they're the ones that that, that initiated all of the the juice in the in this particular rivalry matchup with Poaching uh-huh. Saddlefield.
0: Okay, okay, I like your thinking. I like your thinking. I'm thinking the average fan doesn't know what the hell is going on and they're looking at, and they're looking at the, um, you know, Cincinnati was right there on the cusp of, of being in the playoffs last year. Sorry. They were in the playoffs last year um, and they went what nine and three this year, 84% of fans think that Cincinnati is going to win this game. 84, really? 84% my friends. So, 87% of fans are picking UAB over Miami, Ohio, which I think is a weird pick. Jackson State, 91% of fans. So, there's some pretty wild ones. Boise State over North Texas, 96% for Boise State. I don't know if I believe all this. By the way, 42 bowl games this year. I mean, it's just getting to the point. I mean, we got UConn in a freaking bowl game, for God's sake. Um, mm-hmm. but let's get into our picks really fast. Uh, Jacob so kindly sent me – um, his excellent breakdown of the game. Are you ready for it? Yes. I'm going okay. over Louisville 24, Cincinnati 14. End of text. So, excellent breakdown there for Jacob right. Lane. I'm glad he, he paused from – I'm just giving him a hard time. He's probably making his kids dinner and changing a poopy diaper and picking up after, his, after Liam and – you know, Ruby probably ran into the wall and got a boo-boo or something. There's always something going on in that household. So I can't believe the walls are still standing. But uh, no, re- regardless, uh, Jacob picks Louisville 24 to 14. Matt, let's go to you, man. Do you do you have a pick? And you don't have to, if you don't want to, because I know you have the whole, your whole coverage coming up. Who do you <laughs> think wins the game? And you can give us a score if you feel like, you know, if, if you feel like you want to.
2: I'll go ahead and give a score and I'll pro- I might end up changing my pick as the as the next week goes on, but I am going to go Louisville 14, Cincinnati 10. I do not think there's going to be a lot of points in this game. I you, don't.
1: I straight up don't. You, me and you are just same wavelength. Is that, that what you were going to pick? Last
0: because I I wrote down my score. I don't know if you can see it. There's a bunch of notes there. 13 to 9. Is what I had. Oh, we do this almost every game. But I know. It's So funny. I totally see a game like that happening too. Number one, this would be the coldest game. I don't know. Meteorologists don't come in my head. I feel like a lot of people come in my head lately because I've been, you know, because something's not exactly Wait, <laughs> correct. I feel like
1: a lot of people. What?
0: Yeah, I said at not on. Like a, uh, okay, just making sure. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, I feel like a lot of people have been, uh, you know, yelling at me because of some slight factual inaccuracies. So I will say that I'm pretty sure that neither team has played in a game that will be as cold as it will be in Boston uh, at Fenway park uh, this coming week. Uh, By the way, we haven't really been gotten into the whole bowl itself. Uh, The wasabi Fenway bowl. Does anybody know what wasabi is? Like, do you, do you know what the brand is? The actual, is. like the brand? I have no idea what it is. So, Wasabi, I believe, is like a, it's either like a software company or a medical company, which is totally different. I don't, this I'm, has nothing to do with sushi. Nothing to do with sushi at all. What? <laughs> no. And that's what I was thinking. So, so I was just curious one day and I was like, why is it called the Wasabi Fenway Bowl? I was like, because you don't associate, like, I'm thinking Wasabi, the food, which this is great. This is yeah. perfect for their brand recognition. This is exactly why they did this. Uh, but they na- they are the title sponsor for the Fenway Bowl, and it's not just the people who really like the shit that comes with their sushi. <laughs> Matt, well then, did you? Did you well, I, I figured you were looking it up, Matt. Um, no, my prediction. We'll, we'll go to
1: my prediction. First. Yeah, let's we'll go, 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 go to your we'll, prediction. We'll, we'll wrap it
0: up. It's the last one of the year. I think
1: we should go out with a bang. Oh, uh, wow. I'm going to go twenty-eight. 14 cards and our head coach is getting a bucket of skyline chili dumped on his
0: head at the end of the
1: game.
2: Boom!
0: That would be, I was honestly, I was hoping that Louisville would find some way to incorporate some like shade at Cincinnati. If they win, that'd be, that'd be amazing. Uh, but I think it's just they're going to be... come out with
2: gold star.
1: <laughs> yeah, everybody instead of
0: smoking cigars in the freaking locker room, they're just going to be like three ways sitting
1: in their lockers, like taking pictures with that. Like, they're going to be, oh, be just making it rain with some cheese, <laughs> with cheese <your> everywhere.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no confetti, just cheese. <laughs> cheese. Yeah, what if they just dumped a bowl of 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 just cheese and and wasabi just on on uh on branch? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah, that'd be that'd be stinky. But uh, of course, I don't know. This is such win a the game. Game. Right, exactly. win the game. They just need to win the game. They need to just win baby. And it's so let, let me throw out there as well. It's just going to be a weird environment. This is the first uh, bowl game being played. I believe second football game, at least, you know, of recent being played at Fenway park, which I'm as I'm sure as most people know, is just a, a different place to watch a baseball game. So it's definitely going to be a very different place to watch a football game. Yeah. I'd much um, rather be in Yankee stadium. Well, <laughs> let's not get into that. Let's not get into that. I mean, I think it'd be an excellent yeah, – Have
2: fun lighting money on fire, events.
0: Kind You're a <laughs> <laughs> you're I was the to say, we can all agree that it would not be a great venue at Great American Ballpark. How about that? I think it'd that'd be warm it, Warmer, at least. I, I don't know. Well, I was going to say, so this is going to be – and that's what I was trying to get into. This is probably going to be the coldest game that, that they play in all season, both teams – Looks like it's a high of thirty four. So Matt, if you Matt looks like you are going to be up there, so bundle up in the that press I box. Am. It's an old building, so they might not have as good of uh, facilities as Cardinal Stadium. Who knows? Maybe I
2: swear to God, if it's an open air press box,
0: <laughs>
2: uh-huh. I'm hoping.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just going to be Matt in the open air press box, and there is going to be some guy getting on a ladder to put another a, another three. In the second quarter
1: column,
0: <laughs> no electronic scoreboard. Uh, but no, it's just going to be a weird environment, right? It's just in a weird stadium. Uh, so, as far as I'm aware, second football game ever played there. I, I think Notre Dame played there like five years. Notre there. Dame and
2: Boston College played there at some. I know it's it's hosted football games before, but this is okay. going to be the first bowl game.
0: Yeah, considering how old the stadium is, I'm sure there was some situation where. There was some pro football team that played there or something. Uh, regardless, um, looks like we all have the cards to win in some form or fashion. Um, now that we've all predicted a low-scoring, just weird debacle, it's going to be a blowout by somebody for sure. It's going to be like 40 In a
2: shootout, times. yeah.
0: In a shootout. You know, but, I don't care. Um, I'm all right with that. I could live with that. Oh, I'm good with whatever. Just win. That's all I care about. For the love of God, do not lose this shit. And then make us sit here and wait through more losingness. On the basketball side of things, please let's send the the Satterfield era off the right way.
2: The, the most and underrated storyline of this ball game is that it goes immediately no, no the no. Let's, Florida A and M game after.
0: Off. Looking for, looking forward to a great game in Fenway Park. Looking for the cards to rebound. Uh, Until next time, let's get out of here. And go cards.